want to share with you from Isaiah, hundreds of years before Christ came. This is what Isaiah wrote in chapter 53. He says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look on him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he had bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and with, was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Well, tonight we're going to spend a little bit of time reflecting on Good Friday. Uh, I've kind of had the uh, ability to do that all week, and I get to share with you a little bit of kind of what I've found, and uh, I'm excited to, to be able to bring this with you, um, bring this to you here this evening. Let's just start with a moment of prayer. God, we just are thankful that we can be in your house tonight. We can celebrate the work that you've done on the cross. Lord, we think about all that you went through, whether it's the beating, whether it's the trip to Golgotha, whether it's the crucifixion. Lord, we just are humbled and left in awe at your sacrifice. And so as we come tonight, Lord, we just think of you and what you've done on our behalf and for us. And so, Lord, we just thank you that we can spend time in your word, spend time in your house tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight, over about 1,900 years ago, give or take a few years, a set of declarations went out. Now, they weren't from a megaphone. They weren't from a telephone. They weren't from an iPhone. They actually went from a very unlikely place. They came out of a man beaten, bruised, and dying on a cross. And over the last 1,900 years, People around the world have been responding to these declarations, trying to figure out what they meant, what they mean. The declarations of the cross have infiltrated every nation and every people on this planet. 
They are contemplated and examined by scholars, historians, theologians, and every person who walks the earth. And even after so many years, the original declarations are still there. They're amazing, they're revealing, and they're sobering. See, these are very unique declarations. They're not of human creation or human origin, but rather from God himself. Their messages are powerful, while not scribed in pen, but rather written in blood and nailed to a cross. So what are these declarations? What was God declaring to mankind the day Jesus was on the cross outside of Jerusalem? Now, as I've studied the crucifixion, the events of the first Good Friday, I believe I've found three distinct declarations that God set forth that day so many years ago. Declarations that I would suggest to you that God seems set on us knowing and understanding. So let's look. We're going to look at Isaiah, beginning in chapter 53, verse 5. We read a little bit of this already. It says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The first declaration that went out was the declaration of sin. See, sin is a term that literally means to miss the mark. Isaiah uses the term transgressions and iniquities, all things that imply imperfection and rebellion. Imperfections when compared to the standard of God. Rebellion when we think about our actions against his commands. See, the seriousness of sin is something God wants us to understand. There's a story of two men that were discussing this concept of sin. You know, sin's kind of a Bible word. And so this one man was having a hard time understanding what, it, what does it mean. So the other man, understanding it, invited the other man out in the yard one evening to help him make sense of this. They looked up, and they saw the moon in the sky. It was full. It was bright. And the one man looked at the other and simply asked him to pick up a rock off the ground and throw it to the moon. Now, the other man, quite confused, he responded with laughing. He knew it was impossible to throw a rock to the moon. So he turned to his requesting friend, and he asked him to do it, to which his friend replied, I might be able to get closer than you, but I'm still a long way off. And therein exists a perfect illustration of sin and the requirement of God to be acceptable to him. God is the mark in the center of the bullseye. And no matter what we do, we can't even get close to landing the perfect shot. We're so inadequate morally that we can't even hit the target at all. We lack the power and the ability to do what's required. See, sin is defined as missing the mark. God is the one who set the mark by his very character and his being. And no person on the face of the earth before or after Jesus has been able to even get close. So what does that mean when we've missed the mark? This is where it gets a little heavy because sin has serious consequences. The only way to satisfy the requirements of the perfect are through perfection. When you and I were born, we were born into sin. 
our nature was one geared towards self and away from God. And with life came the ability to make choices. And if we messed up even in the slightest bit with this freedom, and even if it was only one time, we were completely and totally guilty before God. You have to remember, in God's presence, only the perfect remains. Absolutely no blemishes. One huge problem that we all have with sin is that it also doesn't go away with time. It carries on, and with it the punishment it deserves until it's completely carried out and satisfied. Probably familiar with this verse, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. See, and Jesus knew this. He also knew that we were helpless to do anything about it for ourselves. So we stepped in. You see, the seriousness of sin reaches far beyond the boundaries of this world. What happens with sin affects eternity. When Romans speaks of the wages of sin being death, it's more than physical death here on earth. It's eternal death. It's separation from God in hell and for all eternity. Unlike punishments here on earth, the punishment for those who die in their sin doesn't end. In fact, it's only the beginning. Much like poison in the system of someone without an antidote, it's serious and it's devastating. See, knowing the seriousness of sin and its ultimate eternal consequences, God was not satisfied in leaving us to our own demise. In his great love, he took action. And that takes us to the declaration number two, the declaration of our replacement. Paul speaks of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 24, he says, He himself bore our sins and his body on the cross. A transfer declaration was made on the cross on that first Good Friday. There was this difficulty that we were stricken with, that God knew had to be lifted away. Our punishment could now be eliminated. All of our sins could be removed from us. However, there was a catch. Sin doesn't just leave and disappear. It had to still be dealt with through death. Remember what I told you, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. See, there was no easy way out of this situation that we're in. Someone was going to get hurt. Someone was going to have to pay the cost. Years before Jesus, God was revealing this to the Israelites every year through the Passover as they brought their lambs to be sacrificed in the temple. The concept God instituted in the Old Testament was one where the sinful people would take a perfect, unblemished, innocent animal, a lamb, and the priest would take the animal, lay his hands on its head, and in doing so, he would transfer the sin from the individual to the animal. 
They would then take a knife and they would cut the innocent animal's throat. They would bleed all of the blood out, sprinkling it on the altar. Quite a gruesome scene, if you can imagine. What's interesting is the animal did nothing. But the person did. The animal was innocent, but the person was not. Now an animal is one thing. A person is something else. So here's a universal truth to tuck away. All sin must and will be dealt with. And the punishment for missing the mark is severe. The most severe punishment a person can face, death. So Jesus now hanging on the cross of Calvary, he had every sin of mine, of yours, in his body. Willfully, Jesus became the lamb to which your sin and my sin would be transferred. But let us not forget something extremely important here. That's our cross he's on. Those are our lashes he received. Remember what Isaiah says in chapter 53, verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. The punishment for our sin was severe. For Jesus, it was even more than death. Do you realize that? It was Roman scourging and a crown of thorns. It was a spear piercing his side. It was abandonment of his followers who feared for their lives. It was humiliation. It was mockery. It was rejection. And it was even being forsaken by the very Father that he desired more than anything to please. It was famously said, there are things worse than dying. I believe Jesus may have experienced those things as a result of you and I. There's something else we need to understand about this transfer of sins to Jesus. Romans chapter 3, verse 25 says this, Christ, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. There's a word there we don't see a lot, propitiation. Try to say it three times fast, right? It's actually a word that means to make atonement. It indicates a proper payment for sins committed. And Jesus didn't just get the people's sins who were alive when he was. He received all sins for all people in every age for all of time to come. Now notice what Paul said. To demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. God graciously left sins of many unpunished, knowing the plan he had through Jesus Christ on the cross. God doesn't want to punish. He wants to forgive. Ezekiel 18 says this in verse 23. This is God speaking. He says, Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? God's desire from the beginning has been that man would live, not die. And God is more than words. He's a God of action. So he did this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. 
But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus dying in our place allowed God to deal with the real issue that kept us apart. Sin. Missing the mark. We were blinded in our wickedness. We were wrapped up in our sin. And Jesus stepped down from heaven. He took on flesh and hung in our place. After many hours of hanging on that cross, the moment came when Christ spoke those final words, it is finished. And with those words, he set forth a final declaration. Declaration number three. This is my favorite one. The declaration of victory. The final declaration that night was somewhat veiled, but no less true. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 says this, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, I would suggest to you that those individuals there at that crucifixion, that first Good Friday, after Jesus breathed his last breath, were anything but victorious in their minds. They were in despair. They were hopeless. They were afraid. The one whom whom they were convinced was to bring about the change in the world they were looking for was now dead. It wasn't until sometime later that they realized what I would call the paradox of this declaration on the cross. Jesus taking his last breath, seemingly dead to this world, delivers a victory to them. When Jesus died on that cross, he not only declared victory over sin and death, but he also declared victory over the powers of darkness that every day are intent on taking us captive. Let me remind you what it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, Satan's at work every moment of every day trying to destroy everything good and right. He's at work attacking individuals, homes, families, countries, governments, leaders, and even Christians. He's not happy about this final declaration of Good Friday because it's a declaration of victory. See, in Revelation, John actually gives us some insight into what's really going on behind the scenes. The big picture. He describes this image of a dragon waiting to devour a woman's child as she's in labor pains. The dragon being Satan. The woman being the nation of Israel and the child being Jesus. And despite Satan's efforts, the child is whisked away and taken up to heaven. Having gone undefeated in his redemption of mankind on the cross. Then it says this in Revelation chapter 12 verse 17. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. See, that's us, folks. But you don't have to be afraid. Jesus declared victory on behalf of those who trust in him that day on the cross about 1,900 years ago. 
For so long, you and I were under the power of sin. And for so many, the power of sin still reigns supreme in their life. I think of those tonight who are just going through the motions of life, kind of skipping along without hope, without the freedom of Christ, and they don't even realize it. The declaration of victory on the cross was over death, but it's also over the power of sin in the life of the believer. No longer do we have to go along quietly, doing that which ought not be done. See, through Christ, if we have our faith in him, we have the power to overcome sin in our lives. Romans 6 Beginning in verse 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. On the first Good Friday, God set forth his message to all humanity. For years God had spoken through the Jews via the law of Moses, but this declaration, these declarations are for everyone. No longer would we have to live afraid of what would happen if we died. No longer would our sins simply be covered by the sacrifice of an animal somewhere in a desert. Once and for all, for all our sin would be completely gone, as though it was never committed like it never happened. Finally, God could look at each one of us as he looks at his own son, perfect, clean, pure, holy. So tonight you've heard these declarations, but there's a bit of a contingency to them. These declarations require more than hearing. They require responding. The only way our sin is removed from us is if we put our personal faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus has already paid for your sin and my sin, Leaving the gift on the table would be a terrible idea. It would also mean that Jesus' death was in vain. Don't let it be so. And if you desire more than anything to have victory in your life, victory over sin, victory over death, maybe victory over the fear of the future, faith in Jesus is the only way to do that. Now, I've left something very important out intentionally. Another declaration. A new declaration. A glorious one. One for just a few days from now. But we'll talk about it then. Let's pray. God, we are thankful that we can be in your house. And as we think about the things that you declared to us, Lord, so many years ago, but are so true today, ringing just like it was today, we think about the work that you've done on the cross. We think about your call to us to repent, to put our faith in you, to receive that free gift of salvation that you have paid for with your own blood on that cross. So I pray, Lord, for each one that's here. If there's anyone here tonight that doesn't know you, that you would just pull on their heartstrings, that you would compel them by your spirit to come. And that tonight may be the first night they make a decision to say they want to receive your forgiveness, be washed by your blood on the cross, and begin a personal relationship with you, the only relationship that truly satisfies every longing we have. 
So Lord, as we spend time here this evening at your table, I pray you would speak to each one of us in our hearts, in our minds, about where we are with you. And maybe we need to get back right with you. Maybe we need to rededicate our life to you. Or maybe we need to make a decision right now tonight. So I pray, Lord, that you would just compel us, that you would speak to us, that your kindness would overwhelm us as you took our place on the cross. And we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite the men to come. We're going to have a time of communion together. Uh, We have open communion here. So all you have to have is a relationship with Christ. So if you're here tonight and you don't, you don't have to worry about taking the bread or the cup. Your job is to take care of business with the Lord. Just talk with him. Make sure that you have your heart right with him. This can come again. Don't worry about that. But if you do have a relationship with Christ, I invite you to take and we'll take together. And those of you who have little ones, we'll let you be the decision maker on that. You'll know your kid's heart best, right? So you can determine if they're ready to take communion. Let's take a moment. Let's bless the, the bread. God, we just again are thankful for your broken body on the cross for us. And Lord, as we think about your body hanging there, beaten and bruised, Lord, we know it's by your stripes we are healed. So as we hold this bread, Lord, help us to just remember and think about the real meaning of you on that cross and what it means to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. Let's pray. God, we think of the cup. You took it that night, the Passover celebration. And you told us it was your blood and that we would do this in remembrance of you. Knowing you're about to pour out all of it on the ground for us. So Lord, as we take this together, I pray that you would just again remind us of the cost of our redemption. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
The Bible tells us that the blood, the life is in the blood. You lose too much of it, what happens? You die. Jesus poured it all out so that we could live. Kind of an interesting thing, isn't it? But that's why we get to live today. And we get to have the victory is because it was all poured out so that our sin could be forgiven. Let's take together. Don't forget, got something going on here on Sunday, right? The end of the story is not tonight. There's got to be the grand finale. We're all going to celebrate together. So you can come to the early celebration, 6.30, have breakfast afterwards, stay for the 9.30, right? Or come to both. Make it a grand celebration, right? All right, let's take a moment and pray. God, we just again thank you that we can be here in your house tonight, that we have something to celebrate coming on Sunday and something to celebrate tonight, that you've paid the price for our sin. You've offered us the free gift of salvation, not by our works, not by anything we could do, but entirely by you. So we look forward to three days from now, Lord, when you rose from the dead and we get to celebrate the fact that you have secured eternity for each one, a resurrection for each one who has faith in you. Give us that hope as we go and let us not forget the price that was paid for our salvation. We just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.